0: This is the Design Goggles podcast on BNV Radio. Checking out architecture and design is a pretty good way to keep track of how the world changes. Designers have a unique way of looking at cities and Seattle is a city that's changing fast. More people are moving here every day and understanding what's different and what's next has never been more important. So, put on your design goggles and join us in checking out the view. I'm Charles. I'm a designer here at Borden Vellum. I live in the Central District neighborhood and I've been a Seattleite for two years.
1: And I'm Rachel. I'm a designer here at Borden Vellum. I live in the Old Ballard neighborhood and I grew up here in Seattle.
0: This week's show is titled The Race for Light Rail. Most large American cities have some form of light rail transportation and each one has its unique quirks. The light rail system in Seattle is one of the newest. And the saga of its development has definitely had a major impact on the lives of Seattleites, both old and new, and at every economic level. Why is light rail so controversial in Seattle when it is taken for granted as a major positive in so many other cities? What are the impacts of the new stations that are popping up? And why has the process been so stop and go? To help us answer that question and more, we're joined by Matt Hagen, an architect here at Borden Vellum. Matt, thank you very much for coming on the show.
2: Hi, thanks for having me.
0: Our pleasure. So, we ask every single guest uh, the same exact question starting off. How long have you been in Seattle and what neighborhood do you live in?
2: I have lived in Seattle since May of 2013, which puts me at about four and a half years. Uh, I live in the Capitol Hill neighborhood, always have. I've always been within a, I don't know, three block radius of our office. So, uh, it's great.
0: Did you move here? Did you always want to move to the Pacific Northwest or did was it the... Job first, then Pacific Northwest, Pacific Northwest, then job.
2: Well, uh, I did formerly before here live in Washington, D.C., and I did want to get out of town. Um, and my candidates were Chicago and Seattle, uh, largely because I had a good friend base in both. Mm. Um so Chicago didn't want anything to do with me so I eventually got a job up in Seattle and that's why I moved here.
0: <laughs> Chicago didn't want anything to do with you
2: uh, you know I applied to a bunch of jobs uh, in Chicago and no one no one returned phone calls uh, but luckily in Seattle Jeff did. <laughs> So, um, but where did you grow up originally? I am from Las Vegas, Nevada. Uh, I lived there for 18 years of my life, although there was a two-year gap, uh, my junior and senior year of high school, which I lived in a town called Gravel Switch, Kentucky. Gravel Switch. Uh, uh, It was in Marion County, for people who are familiar with Kentucky. And I went to school in Boyle County and graduated from Boyle County High School. Sweet. Side fun fact. You
0: should send this to the Boyle County Alumni Newsletter.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Sure, it'll be breaking news.
0: Uh, I can imagine there might have been some adjustment from a couple of different perspectives, adjusting from Vegas to D.C. and D.C. to Seattle. What were those two periods of adjustment like?
2: Um, Well, the... The transition between Las Vegas and D.C. was kind of a long one. So I talked about my two years that I lived in uh, Kentucky, but I also lived two years in Columbus, Ohio, which, you know, most people think is this like rural desolate town. But it's actually a, a bustling city that has the university, you know, healthcare. It's the state capital. It's got a lot going on. Um, and. Then I moved to DC. So it was a, kind of a gradual transition between Vegas and Washington, DC. But one of the greatest things in Washington, DC is the uh, rail system there. Um, totally spacing on the name Metro.
0: Metro. Yeah. It's just Metro. DC Metro. Yeah.
2: I get it confused with our own. Um, so I was a huge fan of DC Metro, uh, largely because it's a beautiful system designed by. Uh, an architect who pretty much executed all the original stations exactly the same. Uh, And I really think they're great spaces. And when I lived there, it was a fundamental of life. Uh, Although recent events with all of the disasters happening and fires, uh, it's pretty sad to see what happens when a rail system uh, isn't maintained.
0: Right. Well, and it seems it was a lot more about They didn't plan for this type of expansion or keep expanding at all. They were just like, done.
2: Yeah. And I think what's interesting is that our own uh, Sound Transit had, I think about a year ago after when all this controversy was happening and DC Metro said that they're going to allocate a certain percentage of their funding mandatory to ensure that the maintenance on the system is at a high enough level that we do have a good system and we don't have fires and tunnels like they did in DC Metro. So um, there's a lot of lessons being learned and Sound Transit's doing a good job, I think, of reflecting on that.
0: Now, living in DC, you mentioned just before that it's like, it's a, like it's a staple of everyday life. Like you cannot be in DC and not have the Metro affect your life positively or negatively. So just, but describe a little bit what that's like for somebody who's listening who hasn't lived in a city where a, the Metro is that integral to the day-to-day workings.
2: Uh, It's the backbone of the city, Um, you know, much like it is in New York and Chicago and D.C., um, I would say a majority of the town commutes via uh, the train system. And, for example... D.C. always had this fun fact. You you could clarify, because you might know it better, that the population of the city doubles during the workday. So a lot of people from Maryland and Virginia are all commuting into the city to work their government jobs, and they rely on it. And when it does fail, there's just huge uh, backups into the whole infrastructure of the city, including car traffic and buses, and it's just a mess. So... It is very vital to how those cities operate on a daily basis.
0: Yeah. I can definitely second that, having lived in DC a couple of years myself. I think I've told you this story even before, where I lived next to a metro station out in what we would consider the suburbs (laughs) here, uh, but was basically the border of the city. And some days they're just out in front of the turnstiles, just turning people away. They're just like, not today, everybody. Nope. And you just go home. And and then I, I went right back to my building, which was right by the station. And I got into my car and I went up the ramp from my building's garage and the backup from the on-ramp to the highway was blocking me into my garage. Yep. So I just went home. Yep. <laughs> and that's like, that's how important it's just the city doesn't function. Yeah. Um, and it's weird now that those oldest transit systems are starting to fail and nobody's everybody's just nobody's got a solution it's just like oh yeah they don't work now
2: (laughs) and that's something i'm an avid subscriber to the seattle transit blog and uh, one of the main editors of it has mentioned or wrote an article about this about what dc metro's situation was is that they were an infrastructure company like they built stations. And then the second that all the stations were done, they didn't really know how to operate as a transit company. (laughs) And uh, Seattle could very well face that same issue. And I Mm -hmm. think it would be wise to kind of look over there and be like, oh, let's not do that. Uh, Mm -hmm. When we stop building stations, like say Sound Transit 4 never happens in 2035, we're gonna be done. So uh, no Mm -hmm. more stations. I guess it goes to 2041 to Issaquah, but um, sorry, Issaquah. Uh, the at that point we need to operate as a transit agency and not necessarily as a construction agency.
0: Now, one of the unique things I noticed here on the one or two times I've taken the transit system here was that it shares roads, which I still don't quite understand fundamentally how that works. Have to go back
2: in time. Uh, So that was Sound Transit One. That was the first package that was ever passed for Seattle. uh, And they didn't have much money, Um, much like much different than what we find ourselves in now. And a cost saving measure at the time was let's put it at grade. Uh, They still talk about it in other places. It's still kind of on the table for Mm. the expansion. So If you don't want that, you should make your voice heard for some of your uh, legislators. They were really saving costs and then the recession hit, then they were hit even harder in terms of their tax base and really it's kind of a miracle that that thing even went together. Sound Transit has done a good job at not having that problem in the future, Uh, but we do have the problem of very high escalating construction costs and cities who want a lot in every one of their transit packages. Uh, So we now are going to have another problem where there's just too much money being spent. Uh, left and right, and the cost of construction is just too high. So we we might still be in a bad position uh, in 10 or 15 years, if if you ask me, but I'm, <laughs> I'm a little bit of a pessimist.
0: Rachel, I'm curious, what was the conversation like being, at least of the three of us here in Seattle, far the longest? What was the conversation like early on when they were first planning the first couple stations? Was it, how was it framed publicly? Was it like, hey, this is going to be this exciting thing? Was it, we don't have a choice, we have to build this?
1: Well, you know, I think, I think Hagen actually might have more knowledge than I do on this because um, some of the earliest points where we went wrong on this, mm-hmm. I was, you know, a little kid with no voting rights and no idea <laughs> about what a what a light Rachel. rail was. But <laughs> <laughs> um, since I've been back in town, I've just been super grumpy about the fact that we haven't been that we hadn't voted all this in sooner.
0: What does it feel? What does it feel like to you? Because for, for me, and I wonder if for you, Matt, a little bit, it always feels like we're catching up.
1: Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
2: Oh, sorry. I'm nodding my head. No, no
0: That's right. That's great on radio. <laughs> Hand gestures. Totally. Yeah.
1: No. OK. So I have I've lived in cities in the past where there was great transit, but only temporarily. Mm-hmm. Right. My the main majority of my life here in Seattle even with the bus system i've i've never actually lived and worked in a place that it made sense or was convenient enough for me to do anything other than either walk or drive to between my place of work and my place of living mm-hmm. and so that annoys me because as we've covered in other podcasts like i don't want to have to drive to work but that's always been the situation that i've had to deal with and so at this point, I'm like, oh, why didn't we fix this 20 years ago so that I could just take the light rail everywhere I want to go?
0: You might be saying that for but a while. But we didn't yeah. yeah,
1: no, I think it's like the the light rail is gonna come out to where I live when I'm like 65. Right. You know, so like if I'm lucky, maybe I'll retire and get to get on the light rail.
2: And you know, I think that brings up an interesting topic because uh we actually had the opportunity to have heavy rail transit system back in 1968. Um, The city was passing a bunch of infrastructural uh, bills back then, and a lot of things passed, but there were a couple of things that didn't. And one was uh, a heavy rail system, much like DC Metro, because DC Metro was being built at the same time, Um, the BART system. And all of our federal money uh, was, I think, about $700 million of federal money all went to Atlanta. So when you ride the MARTA system, Jeez. just know that that was part of Seattle's uh, investment oh, yeah. in heavy rail um, back in the 60s. So you probably would have had a great commute uh, to Capitol Hill from Ballard uh, if we had continued we done that? to develop it.
0: <sighs> I love when we get to just blame everything on the baby boomers. It's like <laughs> you can blame almost any argument like, what were they doing?
2: I'm not I'm not here blaming anybody. I, I, I know it was more exciting to get the kingdom than it was to get heavy rail or uh, storm sewers. But, you know, we decided that the kingdom was more important. So we built it. And, you know, I think if we if we look back, I feel like Seattle should have a little bit of like remorse on some of the things that they haven't done in terms of transit, because we're currently Fighting traffic. I mean, even when I go out to job sites, I sit in it and I'm like, I don't know how people handle this because I'm going insane. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of people in our neighborhood that are doing things. So if you look at Portland, you know, back in the 80s, they were investing in their light rail system. And now it's it's regarded as a great system and everyone loves it. And it's in <laughs> Portlandia uh, s- intro slides. So um <laughs> It's. It just seems like we are late to the boat. Uh, I think that it might have to do with a lot of how uh, finances are handled for the state. So the state has a very large say in what Seattle does. It's not necessarily what Seattle wants. Mm-hmm. Um, so for for example, um, we invested in the 90s in the tunnel that currently the rail goes through and They decided in the 90s, hey, we're going to build this thing. We're going to put in tracks. We're going to run buses through it until we get a a light rail system. So, um, you know, I think Seattle's trying, but I think we have to fight the politics of the state uh, and our more rural region. But now with the city booming, boy, we sure regret it, I feel.
0: I think one of the ironies for me is that, and we talked about this in one of our previous podcasts, about how like public transportation is the great equalizer in large cities where everybody has access to the same stuff. It's relatively affordable for everyone. I mean, really, even in some of the largest cities in the country, only tourists pay a premium. Everybody else gets a really good deal and everybody takes it uh, at every economic level. And that's why sometimes it's surreal to me when I hear that a portion of the Seattle population is like, no light rail, God, I just can't, I can't relate to that. Why do you think that is a thing?
1: Well, I'm starting to think that that is going to shift. That we're mm-hmm. we're reaching the tipping point where we have enough newcomers that are coming from other big cities and get here, and they're like, "Are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah. We don't that we're we're going to reach that point soon where we will have enough of a voting population that, unfortunately, these things take decades to implement. Mm-hmm. But at least we can get the vote happening and get the funding in place, and we can make it happen catastrophically late but you know so my hope is that, that would be a good
0: tagline sound <laughs> treads Catastroph- catastrophically late
1: <laughs> well but so like when you're talking about not being able to leave your parking garage because the system like mm-hmm. i i worry like wh- where is the point in time where seattle will be broken yeah. because there are we don't have the system in place and there's so many people coming and the population is we're at and there will be some point where it's going to get to be an incredible more of a pain to move around the city than it already is. I, and it'll just, yeah. what are we going to do?
2: I just feel like it's going to be like when the light rail opened up for Capitol Hill. I just feel like the floodgates opened in. I go down there at eight o'clock in the morning. The, the platform's jam-packed with people. Mm-hmm. Um, so... I think that the city's just waiting anxiously for this to happen. Um, But to go back on your point, there are a lot of people fighting it. Uh, You know, Sound Transit is composed of three different counties, King, Pierce, and Snohomish. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Pierce County actually didn't vote for it, but they're going to get it anyways. Um, Because King County voters voted (laughs) overwhelmingly for it, that we made up for their lack of support. Um, but, you know, I see the point for people who don't necessarily live in the city. They don't know how Sound Transit might be serving them, but Sound Transit is investing in uh, bus. They also invest in the Sounder, which Todd was talking about last week. And um, they they have trains that go to Puyallup. Like there, there are areas of Pierce County that are being served by uh, Sound Transit, but not necessarily the light rail. Yeah.
1: Well, and there are a lot of people that, I don't know if they're thinking this way when they're voting, but I know a lot of people that were King County dwellers and probably did vote for it because they are pro-transit, but that then, for other reasons, are moving out of the city and making those decisions about, well, do I want to have to drive two hours from this you know, town out of the way into Seattle where I have my work? And they make those calls because they have to for the prices of housing. And they're going to be really glad that they did vote for all of that stuff because their life is going to get a a whole lot easier when they can take public transit or light rail in from Pierce County.
2: Yeah, I think this circles right back to our DC argument. If the train's not running, (laughs) the the freeways are going to be full of cars and the buses aren't going to be running anyway because they don't have dedicated lanes.
0: There isn't anybody in the city that wants the freeway full of cars. You get zero votes. For like for traffic like if you ran a campaign for traffic everybody would be like no but if you ask for the one thing that deletes traffic they're also there's a portion that's also no and they're like is there a third option can we have neither
2: <laughs> I, it's just weird that some voters just look at it as oh well we're not investing in in road infrastructure therefore it doesn't matter or that buses are equivalent and it, it's not necessarily that way, you know, you, you got to move people. I
1: mean, people that maybe vote against it might be, I, I would hope that people could extrapolate enough. And even if there's somebody that is like, I don't ever want to ride public transit, I don't ever want to be part of it, blah, blah, blah. I just want to drive everywhere I go. Well, you should still vote to pay for the public transit or else you're not going to be able to drive anywhere because the roads will be so crowded. Vote it in yep. so that all those other people can ride it and then you can have the streets to yourself to yep. drive your car. Me,
0: by the way, yeah. <laughs> that's exactly what I do. I drive every day and I vote for Sound Transit every time. Yeah. <laughs> so to any motorheads out there that listen to this one day, vote Sound Transit for faster roads.
1: Yeah, there you go. This is all a big marketing campaign. Just need to frame it properly. we're marketing to the wrong
0: people, we need to go down all the garages in South Seattle and be like, listen, guys.
1: Wouldn't you like it if there were less people in your way on the roads? People that don't want to drive? Yeah. Wouldn't you love if they weren't in your way all the time? Amazing.
2: I don't know why they don't brand it as that. but
0: uh, So, uh, you know, now on the East Coast, both in New York city and in DC, as we just mentioned, both of those systems are failing, which is awful, but also fascinating to me, especially in New York city. Like in DC, there are options. It's a pretty spread out city. The density in the center of the city isn't so bad that like all of a sudden it's just gonna screech to a halt. But in New York city, like if one little piece of that machine breaks down, nothing functions. And that was definitely clear after the hurricane hit. And I wonder what they are going to do after this point, especially they're pushing, and DC is like this too, they're pushing all of these incredibly progressive, let's keep cars out of the city programs, which on their face are great. And, you know, it's very conservationally minded and have zero plans on how to either fix the transit system they currently have that isn't working or replace it with something else, Mm -hmm. which is a whole other fascinating thing to me. And here we are sort of behind the eight ball but does that give us the opportunity to be on the bleeding edge of whatever's next? And what is what does that maybe look like?
2: Oh, what is next? Um, well, I just want to I get I want to talk about what I talked about before. Sound transits trying to learn their lessons from the East Coast <laughs> right. and say, okay, we're not gonna do that again. Um, and even learning lessons from Portland, like one thing Seattle's really are sound Transit's really pushing is what we call high quality transit. So we're investing and making sure that the infrastructure is going to be more longer lasting versus, you know, the cheapest option possible. So um, in terms of the future, I don't know. Uh, It seems like if say trains or don't become, or aren't in part of the future, then that right away is still going to be useful to something. Um, people are still going to have to travel, and you know this. You talked about it last week, but that Elon Musk uh, hyperloop, hyperloop thing—you know—it's still a tube. Like yeah, you got to right. put it somewhere. Uh, he's still <laughs> going to need to get easements and and uh, rights of way in order to deliver people. Right.
0: So I think again, I think they're just selling it wrong. Everybody needs tubes. Yeah, yeah.
1: I'm pro teleportation. Can we there just... you go,
0: Matt. If I put you in charge, and I've taken liberties like this in the past on the podcast, I now have control of of the city of Seattle, which is super cool, and I'm enjoying it a lot. World leader? Oh this, yeah, It so, sounds wonderful. <laughs> World leader? <laughs> no, no,
2: no. Do
0: I get to be? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying. I'm appointing you the head of transit in the city. I don't know what that what that station really is, but you can have your way and plan it any way you want. And you can have as much funding as you need to get done what you want to do. What would you do with the city? How would you proceed? What would your grand plan be? Well, I think
2: my grand plan would be to build upon what Sound Transit has already provided in ST3. Like we need transportation to West Seattle. We definitely need it to Ballard. Uh, So we can get people from
1: old Ballard. Yes, it would be great. Mm -hmm. That would be really, I would appreciate that. Um, I would vote for you to be transit (laughs) czar.
2: (laughs) But I think uh, what we also need to do is rapidly expand that past those points. We need to keep heading north in Ballard. You know, the Seattle subway group really, really wants uh, a connection between Ballard to UW, our University of Washington. Mm -hmm. But I think it would be crucial for me, someone who's looking for a house that I can afford is to start pushing those really further out past Seattle, or at least to the limits. So get it down to the Del Ridge area of West Mm -hmm. Seattle. We also need to service um, Georgetown. Up north, you know, it'd be great to have maybe another line running through there. I just think that would make a huge improvement uh, for Seattle. If I also were in charge, I would fix some of our downtown issues. And I think One of the biggest one is Third Avenue, where we're not supposed to have cars at certain times of the day. Why don't we just get rid of it? Like, let's just not have cars there. It's running five million buses an hour. Like, let's just leave it that way and not confuse people and get cars all over the place.
1: I I already never drive on Third Avenue Avenue because I'm afraid that I'm going to be on it at the wrong time. I'm just like, nope, it's off the table. Don't drive on Third
2: well, there is one little sign yeah. as you enter Third Avenue that tells you the hours in which you can be, uh, on, and it and I, and be I, on it and not be on
1: But, you know, I read it every time and I'm like, ah, what time is it? I don't want to get honked at by a bus. That's
0: the most the Seattleite thing I've ever heard. I don't want to get honked at by a bus.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of <laughs> Seattleite shame in that. You know, like, oh, I'm doing it wrong. I'm so sorry. Sorry. Sorry.
0: I don't know how many times I was honked at in New York City and I didn't even drive.
1: No, it's the worst you don't. I just don't drive on third anymore I just don't
2: so I think it's interesting as a guy who just moved to town I didn't even realize that was a thing until like two years ago when I was driving with Tina and Tina's like I don't know how long I, I don't know if I'm supposed to be on the street right now and I'm like what I can't drive on this street so I'm sure I've driven on it in the past uh didn't even know it um which is sad as a, as a transit a pro transit guy um and, you know, another thing that the city is investing in is actually a very hot topic is the uh, Cent City Central Connector. I always get the name of it wrong. Um, but it what it will effectively do is connect the South Lake Union streetcar with the First Hill streetcar and kind of loop it through a dedicated right away on First Avenue in downtown. Seattle. And it's very, I don't know why it's controversial with our city council, but they almost didn't vote for it a couple days ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like this would be a key factor in getting a more successful streetcar system mm-hmm. um, because streetcars are honestly only effective if they have dedicated right of way and go somewhere. Um, so I think that. If you can go from downtown Seattle over to South Lake Union, you're probably going to have a a higher ridership than we're currently seeing with the first Jill Streetcar, for example.
0: You reminded me of the H Street street streetcar in D.C. Were you still there when it finally opened? Mm -mm. Oh, So that thing took forever. Right before I left. So they they planned this big streetcar plan in D.C., zero carbon footprint. It's going to be great. And the first stretch was supposed to be on this street called H Street, uh, which was being rapidly gentrified and had bars and restaurants on one end, really close to the, the central train station of Washington, D.C. on the other. Smart first leg. And there was this plan to expand it to all the rest of the transit nodes in the city. And all the funding for all of the rest of the legs disappeared and all it exists now. And all it does is go back and forth on one street and it takes up half the street. All you can do is take it from Union Station to get drunk and then go back to Union Station.
1: Hey, that can be handy. That's, look, that's right. look, I lived in Portland for a number of years and and the I didn't typically ride the Max because My commute between where I lived and where I went to school was I I would normally I would typically walk. But Mm -hmm. then when the weather got bad, I would take the Mm streetcar. So, yes, the street and it shares the in Portland, that streetcar, at least on that leg from northwest Portland down into um, Old Town Mm -hmm. shares with traffic like there's cars and everything. And so, no, it's not remotely fast. At all. But that wasn't the point. Like I loved I took it every day all the time because it was the difference between like me just being exhausted after a long day and it's raining and gross and dark and everything. And just being able to take it. Yes. Very slowly back to my neighborhood was great. I loved it.
0: And city that cities that were late to the public transit game. This was their transition to figuring it out. Uh, European cities that had a lot of infrastructure they couldn't touch, like Rome, for example, couldn't build, for obvious reasons, uh, a subterranean transit system in the center of the city. So they built a big loop and then had surface streetcars that went out from the center of the city in every direction, and it worked. And like, Seattle would be be a great city for that, where it's really hard to get these decisions made in the short term. But, man... I just, I want to go back to me being the world leader
2: of <laughs> right. Seattle, and the one thing that I would do with the the streetcar is plow through North Broadway, although I know those people aren't very happy about it, um, and also loop back around to South Lake Union. I know it's like difficult, I'm sure it's not feasible in any way due to the grade, but it would be just great to have a little loop going around town, um, mm-hmm. but
0: uh, it's too controversial, I guess, for the city to talk about.
1: No, but you're the czar. You have no. Yeah, no.
0: It's no longer a controversy. Oh, you have all. I gave you all the power. Oh. As and then I'm also gonna bulldoze all
2: of uh, Paul Allen's buildings, just the portion that uh, Seattle voters voted against to have a oh, park along South Lake Union, yeah, Lesser <laughs> Seattle. Um, Pour one out for Western Seattle. Boy, talk about a moment of
0: regret. <laughs> we could have had a beautiful park in South Lake Union handed to us, uh, but it's funny. The street parking on Broadway has always mystified me. I like it never made any sense to me. It's it's obviously woefully insufficient for those businesses. And now that the light rail's right there, and it's so connected to everything else by foot, why is there still parking of any kind on that street?
2: Oh, Oh, don't get me started on this. Um, What they did for the channelization of Broadway where the streetcar parking, bike, cars still going, like we can't make everybody happy, Seattle. Like, chuck the cars, let's just have bikes and train or have cars and train but you can't do all three. So <laughs> yeah. just pick two of the three move, move I I'm kind of a fan of just moving the bikes up to 12th, sorry bike people. Um and just but what we have done with the alignment of the tracks is is making it super difficult on Broadway to do anything else. Mm-hmm. We've we kind of backed ourselves into a corner and now we have this sort of mediocre for everybody system instead of like a fantastic system if we would have just put it on two different streets um i think S- seattle just needs some real leadership and i think sometimes and with with projects with transit is someone's got to make a decision and know that it's going to upset some people so if you take dc metro as an example they plowed away, they built all those stations, they're all exactly the same. There was no community input.
0: Yeah, zero, yeah. yeah. Runs great. Yep. Oh yeah, and I'm sure originally people would have been like, what is this? Yeah. It was used in a movie, uh, a French film, about a future, I think it was called Subway actually. Have you ever heard of this movie? Sure. Uh, This sub, yeah, I know, right? This like subterranean future world where, (laughs) uh, but it was this really at the time really futuristic design that freaked them all out, and now it's like quaint. Yeah, Um, but you have to think in those terms, and that's some of the advantage. Like I feel like there are advantages to being late to the to the transit game. Uh, In the last podcast, we talked about this a little bit in that our zoning now makes sense with new. Uh, subway stations whereas back on the east coast in philly or new york or boston or any of these where they were building subway stations uh, before the communities existed it was just single family home single family home subway station single family home and now we can have now the density is obvious and makes sense and it will actually conserve natural spaces and keep sprawl you know Unintended sprawl, unintelligent sprawl from happening. And that's a conversation I also don't hear a lot linked with building new subway stations. Like they're freaking out on Mercer Island and they're freaking out in Bellevue about their stations. Uh, Oh, can I be the state world leader uh, when it comes to Mercer Island? (laughs) Um, Newsflash, I have just given (laughs) that statewide control of public transit now. You may have to omit this but um so Mercer Island was very
2: upset about losing a on ramp from Mercer Island to one of the the I 90. 90, Yeah and I I wish I knew more about it so I could talk more intelligently but essentially they were fighting sound transit because they were going to lose access one of their on ramps uh, because they can't get they can't take a single occupancy vehicle to load onto a hov lane um and they were upset about that from an agreement from the 60s or 70s when the freeway was originally there and if i were the leader i would get rid of all of the on ramps and then they could get back to the ferry because i'm tired of dealing with them (laughs) <laughs> like, mm-hmm. if you want to go back in time, then let's go back in time. Yeah. You guys can ride a ferry okay. and let's the rest of us commute like
0: normal a lot of people, people
2: in 2017.
0: A lot of people in New York City think that the waterways are the future of public transit in New York. And after after the last hurricane, it would be really difficult to get around and they need an alternate route. And there's like this really paltry water taxi system. I mean, Seattle's system is far more advanced, but more of that. And just about every not every major American city, all the coastal cities have waterways. I'm trying to think if there's a couple of huge landlocked cities that don't. Even Chicago has pretty decent waterway access to a lot of parts of the city. Um, that is a relatively carbon neutral way to travel. You can put ports anywhere with, uh, ride sharing systems that are now ubiquitous. It's really easy to pick up and drop off. Uh, that's another option that nobody's talking about and somehow linking that to light rail. Really, really easy. Nobody's talking about that either.
2: Yeah, that's a good point. It'd be easier to get across the cut if, uh, we were taking boats. I think. Ferries are fantastic, and I actually get excited about it when you think about, like, the other day, Kate and I, Kate's girlfriend, we rode a bike all the way out to Kenmore and grabbed grabbed a drink. And then uh, I was like, wouldn't it be cool if we could just ride a boat back to South Lake Union from here? Yeah. Like
0: Matt, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. Thank you for making the time. Thank you. And uh, thank you all for joining us as well. Our next night school event is coming up on Wednesday, November 15th. We're going to talk about community design. It's going to be a lot of fun. Keep a lookout on our website for that. It'll be held here at Board & Vellum on 15th Avenue in Capitol Hill. As always, please stop by anytime for a chat with us. We would love to have you. Thank you again. I'm going to see you all in two weeks.
2: And vote for Matthew Hagan for Will Beard.
0: And vote for Matthew Hagan for Will <laughs> Beard.